Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Everyone, I'm Rena, the founder of Health Food Camps, and today with me, I'm so excited to say, is Dr. James S. Gordon. He's the founder and executive director for the Center of Mind-Body Medicine. He's a Harvard-educated psychiatrist, well-renowned expert in using mind-body medicine to heal depression, anxiety, psychological trauma, and he is the clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Family Medicine at Georgetown Medical School. He served as the first chairman of the Program Advisory Council to NIH's Office of Alternative Medicine and as the chairman of the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy under President Clinton, as well as G.W. Bush. Now, Dr. Gordon has created some groundbreaking programs that are comprehensive mind-body healing for physicians, medical students and other health professionals for people with cancer, depression, chronic illness, and for traumatized children. And to Gordon, welcome. Thank you, Rena. It's nice to be here. We are so honored to have you here today. And this is a masterclass on Unstuck, which is your guide to the seven-stage journey out of depression. Dr. Gordon, why did you write this book? Well, Unstuck is um, a book that we just kept growing inside of me. I'm one of those people, I am a writer as well as a doctor by, by profession, but it feels like something that grows in me almost like a child, except instead of nine months, it took almost nine years for this one to, to come to fruition. And, and what I was trying to do is to respond. Initially, the, the catalyst was responding to a young girl, 15-year-old girl in the Philippines, who wrote to me in detail about her being depressed and was wondering what she could do to help herself. She had no money for a psychotherapist and there were no therapists around anyway. And so that girl was very much in my mind as I wrote this book. And all the other people who want to learn how to do uh, whatever they can to help themselves when they're depressed, including perhaps so many people, some of the 30 million people here in the United States who are on antidepressants who want to find out if there's another way besides drugs to deal with their depression. So I wanted to write for all those people and eventually it came out on the page and became the book, which is, which is unstuck. I'll show you here's a copy right here. Beautiful. It's a paperback copy of it. And, uh, it has these dark clouds. I kind of, i like the cover. Somebody else designed it, but I really like the design. And the dark clouds gradually becoming lighter till the sun comes out. And I think one of the really important messages in the book is that being depressed for a period of time doesn't mean you're sentenced to a life of depression. Depression can come as very much as a part of life, and one can learn from it and move through it and come out on the other side stronger and wiser. When do we start classifying what's normal life sadness? Life comes at you with days of happiness and days of sadness. When do we start classifying it as depression? You know, I think there are, there, there are some reasonably clear definitions, and then there's some blurring of the boundaries. 
that depression, uh, what's defined as a major depressive disorder, so-called clinical depression, usually involves uh, eating too much or too little, being exhausted, not being able to focus or concentrate, uh, being very pessimistic about the future, having a sense of being preoccupied with what's gone on in the past that's been unfortunate, uh, feeling helpless and hopeless as a kind of generality. Now that's depression, and but see, I'm not as interested in making that distinction between sadness and depression. What I'm saying is that all of us are going to through, go through periods, or most of us, maybe not everybody in our lives, when we're in some state that has some of those characteristics. Absolutely. It may not be this one end of the spectrum that we call clinical depression. Mm -hmm. Maybe we've lost a family member and we're going exactly. through enormous grief and or we have an illness that's overwhelming to us. We're trying to figure out what to do with it and we feel helpless and hopeless and pessimistic. Exactly. That's all understandable, but none of that means we have a disease that necessarily needs medication. Uh, I see medication, and I want to make this clear up front, I don't see it as all bad, but I see it as a last resort, not a first choice. So when you're going through a difficult time, whether it reaches the threshold of clinical depression, as according to statistics, it does for about 20 million people in the United States, um, or whether it doesn't reach that threshold and you're just feeling kind of discouraged and pessimistic and you don't really feel like doing things or you're going through a period of grief, some of the same principles apply to the ways you can understand yourself and help yourself and learn from this period. Take this period as a painful time of learning and then move forward, learning about what the imbalances are in you, what the difficulties are, and finding new ways to meet those challenges. I'm thrilled to hear you say that medication isn't always the answer. I feel having gone through my journey that there's a reason sometimes we are meant to feel the pain because we grow from it. We grow from those emotions. And I think we've come into an existence in a world where it's almost like we want to duct tape emotions that are negative or that make us feel too much. And it's like, well, let's just take antidepressants because we don't want to feel sad or we don't want to understand sort of what's happening inside. And I'm so thrilled to hear you say that medications should be treated as a last resort because there are so many other, so many other ways and, and you're going to talk about them. So let's get started. Okay. Introduction. All right, the introduction, is there some other way? Dr. Uh, Gordon, uh, is there another way? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. And that's, you know, it, it took me, I've, I've been working with this other way since the early 1970s and adding different elements to it. And so they're, 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 they all came together in Unstuck. But the basic idea is to look at depression as and this gets into the next chapter, as a wake-up call. It's letting you know that something is out of balance physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, socially, all these different ways in one or more of those ways. And the ways to work with it are through all those avenues. If you're in a job where you, your boss can't stand you and you can't stand your boss and you feel you have to stay and every day going into work is torture, then the way to address your depression 
is by addressing your job. And I've had plenty of patients. I, I live and work here in Washington, D.C., and plenty of people have came in, have come in to see me with the job as the major issue. Sec so you need to look at the whole picture, and then you need to address the areas of imbalance. Also, what we can do is that the physiological imbalance that may be there in us, it's not there in everybody, whether it's a you know, deficiencies of cortisone or dopamine or endorphins, that those can be addressed in other ways besides medication. Just very simply, meditation with a T and not a C can change <laughs> those levels of brain neurotransmitters. So can exercise. So can eating in a healthy way. So there are many, many avenues that we can use to help ourselves. And then there are other, and most of them have to do with self-help, things that we can learn to do for ourselves. Reaching out to other people can be helpful. There have been studies comparing psychotherapy with antidepressants, and the psychotherapy comes out in many of those studies at least as well as the antidepressants, and that's just psychotherapy without adding nutrition and exercise and meditation and other techniques of stress reduction. So there are other ways, there are individual ways that can make a difference, and there is a comprehensive, a holistic or integrative approach, which is really what Unstuck describes and shows you how to, how to use, that can make an even bigger difference. So yes, there are, there not only is another way, there are many other ways. And how does someone who's suffering from depression or just deepen sadness for extended time, decide which of those methods might work the best. In your experience with thousands of patients, have you found some kind of a quick trick or a secret in saying, hey, for Rena, meditation will work, but for Joe, finding a group of friends or psychotherapy will work better? Well, the, the, the first thing is you simply have to listen to people. Number one, have to pay attention to what they tell you. Mm -hmm. So I always ask people, and this comes into the first chapter of the book, once somebody realizes, and you're describing somebody who has heard the call, somebody who has come to understand that there's something, something's not right. I'm feeling down and I'm feeling helpless and hopeless. I'm feeling discouraged, uh, pessimistic. Uh, the things I used to love don't please me anymore. So once you're in that state, the question that, I would ask, and the question I would urge people to ask themselves is, what's going on? What, what, what are the things that are really troubling to me? And the second part of that question is, what's helpful? Everybody needs to be looked to individually in terms of thinking about what can be best for them. But what I'm always focusing on for everybody is I'm teaching them some form of meditation, some way to quiet their body and mind and come into balance. I'm always working with physical exercise, finding a kind of movement or exercise that somebody, the patient, person likes to do. I'm always working with nutrition and looking for what's most appropriate uh, and individualizing that as well. In fact, all of these have to be individualized. So for example, even if the research shows that jogging is fantastic for depression. If you hate jogging, <laughs> I don't think it's going to help very much. No. <laughs> to move your body. Um, so dealing with stress with meditation of some kind, some kind of movement of the body, 
working with nutrition, nutrition and working with finding some kind of social support, either formally with a clinician or informally and or informally from other people. Those four are always important to look at. Plus the fifth ingredient, if you will, is helping people find meaning and purpose. What, because so many people, when they're depressed, it's because they've come to a point in their life when what gave them pleasure and satisfaction before is no longer doing it. And this may mean, may mean they need to simply renew themselves internally and balance out the physiology and psychology, but it often means they need to look for some other way to, to work, to live, to connect with people, some new chapter in their lives. So all those, those five, I'm always paying attention to. Chapter one, the call, finding the right way. Dr. Gordon, what is the essence of this chapter and how do we find the right way? Well, I, I, my chapters, I've borrowed some and adapted from Joseph Campbell from his book on the, called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it's a, you know, an important, very readable book about the journey of the hero. And the hero can be a woman as well as a man, of course, and what those stages of self-realization are. And to me, in a modified form, those stages are the same ones that we need to move through as we're dealing with depression. And the first one is the call, the call to the journey, uh, which means, okay, I, I guess I'm depressed. I'm not feeling so good. I, um, you know, I don't enjoy getting up in the morning. I don't, I'm not thrilled to go into work. My, uh, uh, my husband doesn't look so good anymore. <laughs> I'm irritable with my kids. Something's not, something's not right. And rather than dismiss that, mm -hmm. there's a temptation to, mm -hmm. particularly perhaps in our society where we say, get over it fast, suck it up, move on, move ahead, mm -hmm. take a pill to make yourself feel better, or just ignore it. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is pay attention to the call. The call is letting you know that something is out of balance in your life and that what you need to do is to find ways to reestablish that balance. So it's really important. If you don't pay attention to the call, nothing is ever going to change. Absolutely. It's that acceptance, that recognition that I need help. Exactly. And that me hating my kids or my family isn't a normal experience and it's, it's not a normal emotion I should be feeling. Because I think you're right, a lot of us when we go through that time period, and I've gone through it, we think that that's actually how life really is, as opposed to the fact that it's actually an imbalance that is making me feel that way. And that separation of the way I'm feeling is not how I should be feeling comes, I think, from learning to separate yourself from your mind. And that comes from meditation or it comes from, I think, inner reflection. So, um, yeah, exactly. I, exactly. Becoming aware of it. And you may need a little time and a little space to become aware of it. Mm -hmm. Writing down in a journal what's going yes. on can be very helpful, too, because all of a yes. sudden you start seeing things on the page that yes. come out of, or coming out of your unconscious or your imagination or your intuition that may not come easily when you're just trying to make a list. So you just write down what's going on with you. And all of a sudden you start discovering, oh, you know, I, I find that I'm really most unhappy at this particular time of day when this is happening, or it's this particular kind of interaction, 
or I'm really craving something more in my work situation, whatever it might be. I think that that, but the more you can recognize what's going on in, in the beginning, the better. But if you don't, that's okay too. As long as you have a sense that you need to do something about parts of your life that are not working for you. And for those of you listening or watching the video, please note, we're going to put in a link to the health journal, which is, as some of you know, the free health journal that I wrote and used myself to heal. It has sections in it where you can put in a word of gratitude, track your moods on a daily basis and start to see patterns. So if you're watching or listening, don't forget to go to health boot camps, look at the show notes, and we'll put a link in for a free 30-day journal you can download. Because I think Dr. Gordon journaling is scientifically proven am i right in yes. terms of the the incredible value and benefit in tracking your moods and coming to some kind of an understanding of how your inner being is feeling yes, at this time there's wonderful research if if some of the viewers want to check it out by by james pennebaker and his colleagues at university of texas showing that if you write in a journal as little as 20 minutes on three successive days about things that you're feeling that are of emotional importance, you can decrease your level of anxiety, improve your mood, decrease stress hormones. This is very powerful medicine. And if you do it regularly, you know, pretty much every day, the difference can really be quite important over time. So it's important for realizing what's going on. And just the act of writing is itself therapeutic. And like you said, it is really a medicine. I wrote an article called Why This Is My Number One Medicine, because it is a medicine. It's just, it doesn't come in a box, in a pill, but it certainly is a medicine. All right, chapter two, guides on the journey. What is the essence of that chapter, Dr. Gordon? Well, for most of us, not, not everybody necessarily needs a guide, but most of us, when we're depressed, when we're down and pessimistic and feeling hopeless and helpless, it's enormously important to have somebody there with us who can help us take the next steps on our journey, help us look at what's going on, help us figure out what the different dimensions might be of, of, of our suffering at that time. So, uh, and this come this is a very ancient notion. If you look at all the, you know, if you look at the epics, for example, the, the Odyssey, I mean, Odysseus has Athena, the goddess okay. of wisdom. She's a very good guide. She's with him all the time. Okay. She's helping him feel better, look better, understand things that he can't grasp. And she's a kind of model for modern guides. We need somebody, most of us, I certainly did when I was going through a period of depression in medical school, and I found someone who I felt could understand me, who would respond to me, who respected me, who was kind, not indulgent particularly. He could be kind of tough and kind yeah. of humorous and getting me to understand the joke about myself as well. But he got who I was and he was somebody I felt connected to. And I think this, this is so important that one of, one of the problems with a lot of the therapists who serve as guides is that people go see them but they may not feel it's really the appropriate person. You need somebody who's got good credentials, who knows how to be a guide to people who are depressed, who's a psychotherapist or a you know, nurse practitioner in psychiatry or a pastoral counselor or a psychologist or psychiatrist. You need somebody who, with the training, but you also need somebody who you feel uh, treats you 
with what the great psychologist Carl Rogers called unconditional positive regard. Such a beautiful phrase. Wow. That is and that's what I would suggest that you look for when you're finding a guide. Guides can have all kinds of different theoretical perspectives. But for the professional guide, I mean, they can be more involved in behavior therapy or more involved in um, guide, using guided imagery or psychodynamics, sort of more on the Freudian side. All of those can be helpful, but you need somebody who's going to treat you with kind of loving respect. But the other thing, of course, is that guides don't only come in the person of professionals, that our friends can be very helpful to us as well. Not the friend who is, um, you know, thinks there's something so wrong with us that she's got to fix us and tell us exactly how to do it. <laughs> but the friend who is really there, who is really present for us, willing to listen to us, willing to share her own experience, of course, but, but who we feel is there with us no matter what and doesn't have any particular axe to grind. You've got to do X therapy or you've got to see my therapist. It's worth looking at those things. But then it's up to each of us to make the decision. Is this the right way for me to go? So friends, family can help as guides. Professional guide can be very important. And the other part of guidance that's really crucial that, that I talk about and show people how to do in that chapter on guides is how to access the inner guide, the wise guide inside us our imagination, our intuition, you can call it what you want, call it the unconscious. Carl Jung, the great Swiss psychiatrist, called it the collective unconscious. People in some societies think of it as spirits that are outside rather than inside. You can think of it however you want, but if you do the kind of uh, exer exercise that I describe in Unstuck, where you relax and you breathe deeply and you go into a relaxed state and you imagine yourself in a calm, safe place, and then you invite a guide to appear, you can begin to have a guide with that, uh, sorry, a dialogue with that guide. And the guide who appears, as I describe in some detail, and also people can look on our website, cnbm.org, for some of these um, experiments, as I call them, some of these experiences that are therapeutic that you can use for yourself. And you can find out more information about them on the website as well as in Unstuck. But these are, these are devices, experiments to help each of us get in touch with our inner guide. Mm. And once that inner guide appears, who may appear as a wise old man or wise old woman or figure from scripture or a family member, you can begin to ask that guide questions. I mean, why am I so depressed? What should I do about it? Uh, how do I deal with my husband? Whatever, whatever the questions are. This is a way of beginning to exercise those muscles of intuition and imagination that unfortunately in our modern society have atrophied for so many of us. We're not used to consulting so ourselves true. inside. We just want to look to the outside expert and the quick fix. And so the, the message of this chapter is, yes, outside guides are fantastic. And we all need to develop that internal capacity to use our intuition and our imagination. How frequently should we be contacting our guides, whether 
physical or spiritual when we're feeling sad and depressed? Is this something you recommend doing daily, weekly? What's the frequency, Dr. Gordon? As often as you need it. Okay. <laughs> and so what I recommend for people uh, as we sort of look at the whole program is doing some kind of quiet meditation every day. Maybe mm -hmm. just breathing deeply in through your nose and out through your mouth with your belly soft and relaxed. Mm -hmm. Focusing on the words soft and belly, focusing on the breath, focusing on the feeling in your belly. Doing that for five or ten minutes. And again, there's a video of that on the cmbm.org website. You can follow that video. Doing that, doing something active every day. Mm -hmm to release stress, release tension, to build up energy, to build up those neurotransmitters, the very same ones the drugs are aimed at increasing, like serotonin and norepinephrine. And then consulting your imagination. Uh, and I'm being a little vague. I say whenever you need to. So sometimes it may be every day. Sometimes it may be once every week, once every couple of weeks. I do it now. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling depressed. But I do it when I come up against a problem that, you know, that doesn't, the answer doesn't come to me immediately. What should I do about this relationship? Uh, how do I address uh, a problem in my writing? I'm working on a new book. How do I, you know, how do I address the problem in this chapter? Uh, what is this physical symptom that I'm having mean to me? So whenever something comes up that feels important to know more about and the answer is not coming to you right away, mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I consult my wise guide. And if my wise guide is not interested in talking to me about it, she'll tell me. <laughs> she'll say, hey, buddy, don't bother me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Figure something it out else. yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a process. And there are many other techniques for accessing the imagination, which I describe in, in Unstuck. But the wise guide is a very beautiful, very direct one. And it works so well. I've seen it work so well for so many people. Beautiful. Chapter three, surrender to change. What is the essence of that chapter? Well, when you're depressed, one of the characteristics is nothing much is changing, right? You're sort of, ugh, you're kind of sunk like this. <laughs> you're feeling I'm gonna be yes. like this forever. Yes. Uh, it's never going to get better. I've, I've been in that state. I yeah. understand that. It's a lot I'm, of doom and gloom. I'm laughing about it now. Um, not a bad thing to laugh about it, even when you're in the middle of it, if you can. Mm -hmm. But it's not so easy. But the idea is, if you're in the state where change is not happening, and the natural, uh, the natural state for humans, for all organisms, is to be changing all the time. So what depression is doing is it's getting you fixed or to quote the title of my book, it's getting you stuck. That's why I call the book unstuck mm -hmm. because people who are depressed kept coming to me and saying to me, I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. How do you get unstuck? Well, the most direct route to getting unstuck, uh, which is not the only route, but the most direct route is to shake things up that are stuck. So one of the techniques is to shake your body, to move your body in order to surrender. And surrender means somehow bringing yourself into the current of life, 
bringing yourself back into this process of continuous change, which is what it is to be human. We're always changing and growing and learning and new things are happening if we're fully alive. When we're depressed, that process slows down or shuts down. So in order to renew that process, we need to put out some effort. And the effort will help us surrender to that lively, lifelong process of change. And that sur in order to do that surrender, which is really saying, okay, I'm going to take part in life. I'm going to accept what's coming. I'm going to move with it. I'm going to learn from it. Some people are able just to do that. There's a guy whom I write about in that chapter called Milton, who is an airplane mechanic and uh, former army master sergeant, pretty rigid guy, very angry, very depressed, very angry at his ex-wife and angry at his kid. They moved away and he just can't deal with it. And he's feeling worse and worse. And one of the, one of the uh, doctors whose plane he was servicing as a mechanic referred him to me. And I saw him and I said, you know, I think what you should do is that you should read this book called the Tao Te Ching mm, and, uh, by, by Lao Tzu. Yes. A Chinese, great Chinese classic. It's the, it's a book about how life is always changing and how you need to surrender to the change to the way. That's what the Taoists understood. Yes. The Chinese, the Chinese sort of practical and spiritual natural perspective was learn to surrender to change. So he read the book. He spent a whole weekend. He's very conscientious. He spent a whole weekend reading the book, uh, looking at all, you know, he, he read it in the translation. I suggested Stephen Mitchell. Stephen's a friend. His translation's great. But then Milton said, I spent all day. He came back to me a few days later. He spent all day reading this translation and it was great. And I began, at first it didn't make sense. And then it started to make sense. And then I got interested and I wanted to read other translations. Well, the bottom line is he spent a three day weekend reading half a dozen different translations, My walking goodness. around, reading, sitting on park <laughs> benches. When he called up his wife and kid on Sunday, uh, after the end of the weekend, as he always you know, good call up on Sunday. Usually he was angry as hell, but this time he spoke, his ex-wife ex answered the phone, he told me, and he said, hey, baby, how you doing? And she said, what have you been smoking? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He was so angry and depressed. And he said he had a very nice conversation with her, and then he talked with his 11-year-old son, and he said, instead of belittling my boy and making him feel small, I was just asking him, you know, how's baseball going? And how, you know, are you having any difficulties in any way I can help you? He said it was a totally different kind of conversation. He said, so doc, this is on his second visit. He said, so doc, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy I met you and uh, you've helped me change my life around. But between you and Lao Tzu and me, I don't think I need to see you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so he was able to surrender. Wow. Most of us are not like that. Yes. Most of us have to do something very active physically to get out of this mindset in which everything looks gloomy and doomy and negative to get out of this body when we're depressed. I don't know if you noticed that I certainly did. My body's kind of shut down. I don't feel like yes. moving. I'm kind of yes. tight. Yes. Often, 
you look at depressed people or when you're depressed, they sort of like this, heads exactly. down, shoulders slumped. Exactly. So you need to do something very active to get out of that. And, I, and I, in that chapter, I, I recommend some uh, what are called expressive meditations. Mm -hmm. And one of the easiest is shaking your body, just getting up, standing up, your knees bent, and shaking your body from the feet up through the knees, hips, shoulders, and head for five or ten minutes. Mm -hmm. And standing for a couple of minutes and then letting your body move to some music. And again, people can read it in Unstuck. They can look on our website and see, see people shaking and dancing and see my instructions for doing this expressive meditation. This, these expressive meditations and shaking and dancing is only one of hundreds. These are the oldest forms of meditation Absolutely. on the planet. And they're beautiful. These are the ones that allow us to free ourselves from these yes. constrictions and help us surrender to life again. So I recommend that people who are depressed do one or another of those every day. And yes, it will feel like a total pain in the butt and I can't do this and it's too much. Fine. Say thank you for sharing and get up and do it and do as much as you can. If you can't do five or 10 minutes at first, Start with a minute or two. Just get started moving your body. And what I've seen working literally training and doing workshops for tens of thousands of people all over the world, and the people we've trained at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine have in turn worked with many hundreds of thousands, is that this kind of expressive meditation is often the beginning of healing for people who are depressed, really anxious, people who've been traumatized, people with chronic illness. And it seems a little strange. It's not part of conventional medicine or conventional psychotherapy. And yet this is what our ancestors knew. Mm -hmm. They knew how crucial this was for all of us. And just do it. Not a question of your viewers taking my word. Just check out how to do it again and unstuck or on the website and, and do it. It's, you decide for yourself. See the difference it makes. When we do it, I was just, we were just down, uh, we were talking before we got on the air about work we're doing in Broward County, Florida, mm -hmm. with uh, the community that survived the school shootings down yes. there. And people are very traumatized, many of them quite depressed after the shootings. And yet so many of them felt revived as they would do these expressive meditations, not just once, twice, three, four, half a dozen times. Sometimes even the first time they say, oh my God, I'm starting to feel a little bit alive. So that's, that's the key to surrender. In order to surrender, in order to let go and be part of life, we need to begin usually by putting out some real active effort. It's so true. You know, I think of it also as acceptance. It's when something terrible has happened to you, just accepting that that's just to your point, the way of life. That's just how life flows. So when I was going through the horrific health crisis second time, I had to get to the point of accepting what was happening to me and saying, okay, there is something in this that I'm supposed to grow from, learn from, and I'm just going to accept what's happening to me. I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm not going to swim. I'm going to float through it. And I think that's what you're calling surrender is in my, my visualization that I would do was that I'm just floating. Beautiful. And that's exactly right. Acceptance is another word for surrender.
and, and so if something terrible has happened where there's been a shooting and God forbid you've lost a child, you know, the, the second part of it is to your point is to say, because we start asking questions, why me? Why this horrible tragedy? There is no God. How, how could a God exist? How could the horrible things happen to beautiful innocent souls? And what I've realized, you can't go there because <laughs> there's no answer to that. So that... But yeah, but people have to do that. We, we you know, we, it's, it's mm -hmm. that we have to go through a certain period. Most of us, we can't accept it. Why is this happening? Why me? All this mm -hmm. thing. This actually comes. This this moves into the next the next chapter, which is really dealing with the demons. The other thing that I've noticed is I interviewed Dr. Jeffrey Thompson last week, and we were talking about sound healing and sound vibration. And I'm connecting the dots, and tell me if I'm wrong. I think to some extent, when you put on music and you move, you're probably recalibrating the vibration. You're probably rejiggering your brain waves. Where has there been any research done into where do our brain waves sit when we're depressed, and the fact that sound and movement starts to maybe elevate those? Any I don't. I don't know if there's been research on. I, I don't know the research specifically done on changes in brain waves. There certainly has been research done showing that, you know, deep breathing and music helps people, um, helps people with depression. And there's certainly research doing uh, that movement uh, is extremely useful for depression. There's a whole bunch of studies that have been done, again, comparing movement, active exercise with a variety of antidepressants showing that exercise does just as well or better than antidepressants without the negative side effects. There has not been research done that I know of on these expressive meditations. We use them as part of the comprehensive program in Unstuck in what we train people to do at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, and we have research showing the effect of our comprehensive program, which it very much includes these techniques on depression, on anxiety, on post-traumatic stress disorder. So Beautiful. I think I would say the specific research hasn't been done, but there's been enough done that it is, as the scientists would say, suggestive, so that mm -hmm. you've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Absolutely. Fortunately, more and more research is being done on the kinds of approaches that we're discussing now. Yes. For example, on the effect of exercise on depression, the effect of meditation on decreasing uh, the size of areas of the brain that are responsible for fear and anger, for example, the amygdala and the emotional brain, and increasing activity in the frontal cortex, areas of the brain responsible for judgment and self-awareness and compassion. So the research, researchers are getting more and more interested in the kinds of approaches we're talking about, and that research is beginning to appear. And the research on our model, which is the one I'm teaching in Unstuck, the research is quite good on the use of our model to treat people who have been traumatized who are also depressed. So okay. I'm, you know, don't worship the research, but look at it, look at it critically, and I think it will encourage many people. And then also keep looking at your own experience. What is making a difference for you? Chapter four, dealing with demons. How do we deal with those demons, Dr. Gordon? 
Well, first of all, demon, the word demon um, comes from the Greek word daimon, D-A-I-M-O-N, which was not just something negative, but it was also the kind of uh, genius that was there inside us that could that we could consult, that could help us be and become who we're meant to be. Over time, it got narrowed down to demon, to something threatening and uh, you know unpleasant and dark and horrible. What I would say is we need to recover some of that ancient meaning, and we need to understand that these dark and painful and horrible to us aspects of our lives also have something to teach us. So we need to work with them rather than just to f try to flee them, to get away from them, or to drug them into submission. <laughs> so if we are angry, for example, you know, why did this happen to me? How could this have happened to me? I've been such a good boy or such a good girl, or mm -hmm. you know, how, could, how, how, could, how could this terrible thing have happened? What, what I might say is, You've got to work with that demon. You've got to work with that anger. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't just wallow in it. Don't drug yourself up so you don't feel it. Hit a punching bag. Scream and shout. Get out the anger. Start becoming aware. Full, get, fully experience all that frustration. And what will happen often as you begin to work with this particular demon of rage and outrage really okay. is that something else will open up sadness will come the deeper sadness that the anger may have been protecting us against and then we'll soften up and change will be possible again or the demon may be procrastination uh that's one of mine i don't know if you've experienced that in writing but i do at times i've got to put it off i've got to, i can't do it Okay, so this is, my, this is a demon that I've had around me on and off over the years. What, what do I do about it? Do I just beat myself up for, once again, putting off doing something? Uh, do I keep trying to do something that I just can't do? Or maybe I shift gears. Maybe I start doing something else. So I take the, um, the injunction to do something productive, and I generalize it. I, and so I stop doing the writing on the book and maybe i write emails to people and if i can't do that then maybe i straighten out my desk <laughs> or do something else so you know again i'm i'm recognizing this particular demon i'm not pretending that it's not there i'm not going to war with it but i'm trying to figure out a way to learn from it and to move through it and i don't know how many times i've found that if i back away for a moment from procrastination and I either start working on some other kind of writing or I do something, uh, you know, practical or I even I move my body and I, you know, just walk, take a walk. I then come back refreshed. So we need to do, we need to become aware of the demons and we need to find a strategy. And it's going to be different for each one. And in Unstuck, I outline ways of working with 10 or a dozen different kinds of demons. Each of us has different demons. And so there are different strategies. And you can ask your wise guide also what mm -hmm. you should do. Mm -hmm. if, you, if your demon's anger and you know, you're angry all the time, okay, what do I do about this anger? Mm -hmm. See what your intuition has to say. 
Could you share what those demons are? You mentioned in the book that you outline a few demons and some strategies. So anger is one. What are some of the other demons? Well, resentment, which is a much nastier form of anger. You know, sitting around stewing about, you know, how could she have done this to me? Or how could he be like this? And, uh, another one is envy. You know, what's, oh, you know, he's so much better at doing his job. I wish I could be like him. Another one is jealousy. Oh, my husband, he keeps looking at that other woman. Um, all one, I mean, all the spiritual traditions, including the New Testament, are very clear about that sloth. Yes. Lethargy. I can't do anything at all. Just um, lost. Well, it's good to be lostful in a way. But if you're going around, you know, constantly preoccupied with, you know, who am I going to sleep with next and just driving yourself and everybody else crazy, that's a demon. That becomes a demon for you. So everything, in, uh, you know, it may be impatience. That's another one I know about. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is slightly different. Just familiar you know, like, with that. So all, all of them, we've, we've all got, just about all of us have one or another Absolutely. Even the saints had their demons and they had to work. A lot of the pictures of the saints in the desert, they're there, uh, you know, by themselves, they're wrestling with their demons. But let's talk about a specific demon, just because I know so many people who are dealing with this, which is that of the emotion that emerges when you lose something really important, whether that's loss of a child. We've had some friends that have lost a child to cancer or another you know, lost to a car accident. So losing something that you love tremendously, losing a spouse, losing a parent, that's something that every single one of us is going to experience at some point, you know, losing someone you love. And of course that creates a demon within. Could you just share one or two quick tips on how can someone deal with that? Because well, that can take over your life. See, I'm not sure that that's a demon so much. I think the demon would be if you continue to be disabled by that loss, mm -hmm. so the demon might be uh, inertia or, or, you know, I can't, I can't move. Or the demon might be the anger that we discussed. Absolutely. Before. I'm so angry. How could this yes. happen? Yes. I think grief has to be honored. Mm -hmm. You really need to, uh, I mean, traditional societies and, you know, even our modern religions understand that it's going to take for a severe loss. It's going to take a year. So be, first thing is be patient with yourself. Thank you for saying that. I feel like we live in a society that doesn't give us permission to, to feel sad without labeling it and then trying to put pills in our mouth. Thank you for saying that it can take a year and it's okay, right? To take a year to process those emotions. And so it's really important to understand that and to accept it. And one of the things where people get in trouble uh, that I've seen is that they're, they're told, well, get, get your act together, move yes. on, suck it up. Yes. And it's, it's just not helpful. You know, we do need to function to some degree, but it may take us time mm -hmm. and we may not be functioning optimally. The other thing is we need people to talk to about what's going on. This is where the whole idea of a guide becomes even, even more important. That as we've, we've seen in working with psychological trauma here in the U.S. and around the world, and as other people who've looked at and worked with trauma have seen, 
the single most important factor in healing is the support and connection to other people. So reach out to other people. One of the problems with great loss is we feel like we're the only one who's experiencing it now and maybe the only one who's ever experienced it. And this is partly physiological because certain parts of our brain get disabled by trauma or at least become somewhat dysfunctional. So understand and connect with other people who can share with you, who can be there for you as you're going through what you're going through and also you know, understand that they too either have been or will be traumatized. So those, those are really probably the two most important places to start. And then, the, then it's a whole process where you can begin to use all the other tools that we're talking about in Unstuck to help you keep moving through this period. Wonderful. Chapter five, the dark night of the soul. Ooh, that sounds heavy. What is the essence of that chapter? <laughs> it is heavy. It's... Um, the phrase is from John of the Cross, the 16th century Spanish mystic. And the idea is that some of us, not all of us, do go through a period of despair. Despair means without hope, where we're quite literally without hope. And this is often, this is the time when people feel suicidal and act on those suicidal impulses. So if you're feeling in that state, in that dark night of the soul, you're feeling like nothing is ever going to change. I don't know if it's worth living anymore. I'm thinking about maybe I should end it. For sure, that's the time when you need to reach out for a guide and for a professional guide. That's the time when you need somebody there with you who understands and is not terrified by what you're going through. I want to repeat that. This is really important. There are professionals who are beautiful at working with people who are suicidal. There are others who are made intolerably anxious by it. And so they rush to the prescription pad. They don't want to hear you. They start getting agitated. They may cut you off. Don't talk to those people. Find someone who really whom you feel really understands what you're going through, accepts it, and understands that you can come out on the other side. One of the things to keep in mind is the phrase, the dark night of the soul. The darkness, it becomes, to use that other phrase, it becomes darkest before dawn. Mm -hmm. So often that darkness is the beginning of the turning around to the light coming back on. Now, one of what I've found over the years that, that's really important is to, people need an experience of hope, an experience of change, to believe that hope is justified and change is possible. So we've seen working with many, many people who are going through this dark night it's simply doing some of the techniques we discussed earlier, soft belly breathing or shaking and dancing and seeing the little change that may happen. You're breathing slowly and deeply with your belly soft and relaxed and muscles in your body are beginning to relax. Doing that for five or 10 minutes and feeling the difference, that experience 
is a direct antidote to the feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. Because you actually have helped yourself, you've made a difference, and if you can make one difference, this is what our brain understands, you can make more than one difference. So having some kind of experience of change becomes critically important in this stage. The other thing that's important that we need to do is if we're in an in sort of intractable depression, it's not changing, we're feeling in despair, part of that consultation with a guide, if we haven't done it earlier, may mean looking at all the potential biological as well as psychological, social, and spiritual reasons why we may be so depressed. So sometimes people get stuck and go into this deep state when there's a, a lack of nutrients in mm -hmm. their body, when they're missing one or another vital nutrient, or when their gut is not, their intestinal tract is not working well and there are substances leaking across the intestinal tract that are causing inflammatory reactions, perhaps in our brain, that are contributing to our depression, that are not relieved just by meditation or by, um, by uh, you know, moving the body, that may need a specific, and not even just by good eating, but that may need a very specific nutritional program. So that's an important time to go to see somebody who practices integrative medicine or functional medicine, who can help you look at those biological possibilities. And then finally, this dark night is also the time, uh, and this comes to the next stage, when many of us feel the need for some kind of spiritual counsel, for some perspective that's larger than the one that we have now. And that's a direction in which we need to be looking. Thank you for talking about nutrition. I'm convinced having done over 52 interviews at this point and having talked to hundreds of, of people who've gone through different chronic illness issues themselves that if someone starts to feel sad, depressed without a trigger, so a trigger could be you know the loss of someone or a horrible boss that's making your life miserable, like, there's no real trigger and the triggers are made up. And that's what's making you feel hopeless and depressed. Nutrition is probably a huge underlying factor. And then so is lack of sleep, Dr. Gordon. Have you done any research into what sleep disruption does to creating that sense of um, depression, anger, anxiety, all of those negative emotions? Let me, let me just say one more word about nutrition. I'll come back to sleep. Mm -hmm. in, in Unstuck, in the chapter on the call, I talk about a basic nutritional assessment and okay. basic nutritional changes. I think that's really important to, for people to follow those recommendations and a basic program of supplementation. A very significant portion of our population, for example, is deficient in, in vitamin D, yes. in B vitamins, in chromium, and selenium, and others. We need to replenish our system to deal with the stress that we are experiencing and to deal with those deficiencies. So there's a basic program for it. If that basic program is not enough, then I would suggest consulting an expert in nutrition, functional medicine, or integrative medicine. And I would do that if you've been depressed for a long time and or if you have a lot of other physical symptoms. Uh, and certainly if you're in this dark night of the soul, if you haven't done it before, done that consultation before, 
I would do it then. Sleep is also very important. We're really, it's a kind of um, uh, a kind of a, a, a renaissance of interest in in sleep. And there's a lot of research going on showing that sleep disturbance can contribute to a whole variety of conditions that cause us trouble, including anxiety and depression. And sometimes sleep disturbance is uh, caused by sleep apnea, mm -hmm. which is a particular condition where we <gasps> stop breathing during while we're sleeping, and you may need to be tested by that. And your partner can tell you whether he or she is at various moments in the night that was terrified that you were going to stop breathing altogether. <laughs> uh, but even aside from sleep apnea, so many of us are so anxious that we have trouble getting to sleep or we're so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after that we wake up early in the morning with our minds full of ideas. We wake up at three o'clock instead of at six or seven o'clock. So we really need to look at what's causing the sleep disturbance and me also need to use remedies that are at least for a period of time that are helpful for us going to sleep. Some of it can be dietary, changing what we eat, getting rid of processed food, getting rid of stimulants of various kinds. Maybe important to use herbal remedies that are helpful for sleep, at least for a period of time, like valerian and skullcap and passionflower. Some people use melatonin can be helpful. Small dose of melatonin, three or five milligrams, can be very helpful for sleep. Um, so it is important to get sleep and balance, but doing all the other things, doing meditation, doing exercise, um, connecting with other people, sharing what's going on with you with other people, eating in a way that's in conformity with our biological programming, all of those will contribute to good sleep. Absolutely. Right. Chapter six, spirituality, the blessing. What is the essence of that? Uh, we are, whether we think we are or not, we are spiritual beings. We're, yes. we're connected. And I'm defining that in a way that's really very general. Spirit uh, is a word that has, that also means breath in many languages. So there's a deep understanding at the earliest stages of humanity's languages, that there's a connection between our breath and what we've come to call the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. That is a connection between what is within us, the breath we take in, and the outer world into which we breathe, the much larger world. And that when we breathe, we can use breath as a way to connect with what is so much larger than ourselves. We are creatures who need meaning and purpose in our lives. It's not that we can't survive without meaning and purpose. People do, but it's very hard to thrive. And that meaning and purpose really is, as, and especially the older, the older we become, we find that it's not just about basic survival needs, having enough food and having shelter and having a sexual partner, that there's, there's much more there's much more to life. There's much more depth in a relationship. There's much more um, value and importance in what we can contribute to the world around us, to not only to the people who are closest to us in our family, but to the larger world, that we are, in fact, connected to the larger world, whether we call it 
uh, nature, whether we call it other people, whether we call it the universe or the great spirit or God, that there is a connection that's there if we pay attention. And that if we treasure that connection and make it an intimate part of our lives, it can make all the difference in, it gives us a reason to live. It gives us a reason, and, and not just to survive, but to live and to thrive and to celebrate life. And there are many, many ways to experience the spiritual. There are thousands and thousands of pathways, some of which have to do with religion, some of which have nothing to do with religion. But the meditations, whether it's the quiet, soft belly breathing or expressive meditations like shaking and dancing, the more we do them, the more we find ourselves opening up to a realm of peace, a realm of... Uh, uh, sort of the word you used was beautiful, the acceptance of what's going on, the world of connection to something larger than ourselves. So these are pathways toward the spiritual. Another is being in nature. There's nothing like, you know, going for a walk. I'm looking out my window. I, I got this house. The house is a perfectly nice house, but not that remarkable, except I've got trees out back. Yeah. And just looking at those trees every day, just helps to renew me and helps me to, you're looking at the trees. <laughs> so, you know, it helps me to feel that connection to that, to that larger world. And for those who, I mean, I live in the city, I'm very fortunate, but I've worked a lot with people who don't have views of trees as I do from their home, just going to the park, walking around the park for 15, 20 minutes or half an hour just changes the day. All of a sudden people feel, recalled to who they really are. Mm -hmm. We grew up in nature. We are a part of nature. Absolutely. If we can reaffirm it, that's a way of experiencing ourselves as spiritual beings. So all these are roots to the spiritual. All are important. The more we can realize ourselves, um, and one of the ways I kind of look at this is through the lens of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you, said differently in different religious mm -hmm. traditions. That's a beautiful way to be spiritual, mm -hmm. to really sort of see, shake yourself out. I'm not so interested in highfalutin ideas about, oh, I'm so spiritual. I'm interested, how do people treat me? Yes. What do they like? And how do I treat other people? That's how I... You know, that's, that's the way both the Old and the New Testament, and then also it's there in Islam, it's there in, mm -hmm. it's there in, in the yogic tradition. You've got to have that as fundamental. If that's not there, everything else I take not so seriously. I don't see it as be loving with other people. Treat yes. them with respect. And that's the way you realize the spiritual. And it feels so good, too, to do that. Absolutely. You know, I have been meditating now for over two years and I do pretty intensive meditation every day. And I've had some pretty remarkable experiences during my meditations. And one of them has been feeling like we're actually immersed in love. And Dr. Gordon, it is the most overwhelming experience to realize that actually we're immersed in love. We are surrounded with love. I know it's called dark matter. We don't know what it is. There's all the stuff around us, but it's music and it's love. And knowing that you're actually bathed in love 
changes your perspective. Because sometimes when you're really depressed or you're really down, you feel like, you know, you get into those thought waves of nobody loves me, nobody cares, I'm all alone. And then to realize, actually, no, I am so loved. Feel it, and they'll be more in touch with it. For some people, that's a big, that's a huge leap. And if they can just feel that sense of acceptance or peace for a moment or connection between their own breathing and the world around them, that's the first step. And then perhaps they'll come to that place that you're describing. Or maybe in listening to a piece of music. And that will help them to hear the music that may be all around us all the time. But it's a stepwise process. For some people, it's dramatic uh, and, you know, very uh, all pervasive. For other people, it's just a little bit at a time. And again, patience. Be patient with yourself. Yes. Yes. Took me two years to get here. So <laughs> certainly didn't happen overnight. Well, some people, it may take 20 years or 200. It's true. <laughs> That's why you need guides. That's why you need people that can accelerate that process, whether that's from a sound healing uh, binaural beats or whether that's finding a Sadhguru, which is how I got to accelerate my experiences and release my Kundalini's. It's, it's you know, because of Sadhguru's well, The bringing up is really important. There are many different pathways and many, many different ways to experience the spiritual. None, in my opinion and experience, none is better none is worse necessarily there are human beings have have devised thousands and thousands of different ways find one that suits you and if some something doesn't suit you no matter how many experts gurus yes (laughs) told you find another way yeah don't keep doing it if it's not working that's right so true and i'm going to say another kind of woo-woo thing as they say watch for signs. I feel the universe is always presenting us with the right option. We just have lost the art of observation or noticing. And if you start to keep a journal, the health journal again is is one way you can do it. If you start to make notes of what's showing up in your life over and over again, you might be surprised that that's actually the right thing for you at this point in time. So it's either the right thing for you or it's telling you you got to, at any rate, it's telling you you have to deal with it. That's yes. for sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And deal with it. I think the worst thing people can do is when they get depressed is not deal with it exactly. and just to wallow in it and accept it as that that's kind of my fate. This is it. This is how I'm going to be. And I think that's when it leads to what we've seen lately unfortunately we've lost some really famous people it, it leads to that level of of extreme reaction where you end up committing suicide and dr gordon i want to thank you again your your book is so timely because it seems like there's a lot of that going around and so my goal is to raise awareness with everyone who's feeling that way right now to kind of buy your book listen to this master class so if you're listening or or watching, please share this, share this with everyone out there because you never know who's going through what and what thoughts that they're feeling. So just just a couple of other things I want to say kind of in conclusion. One is, and this is really, we do have one more chapter, by the way. Yes. Okay. That, okay. We're going to do chapter seven. Let's do chapter seven because we'll put it all together. Thank you. All right. Chapter seven, the return. Dr. Gordon, where are we returning back to? Well, we're returning back to ourselves, 
But as all the, the tales that we read about, about the journey of the, the hero or heroine who's gone on this journey of self-discovery, you come back to the same place, but with different eyes. You see it differently. So at the end of this journey, what we have is a program that we've put together from all of the different tools and techniques we've learned in the other six stages, and that we're developing a daily program of working with meditation, both quiet meditation and active, active expressive meditations using our imagination, using guided imagery, the wise guide image, or maybe using drawings or written exercises to access our imagination. These are all things I describe in Unstuck. We're seeing people somewhat differently. We're seeing that person who we thought was, um, we really didn't like. We come back and we say, oh, she's not so bad. We see, <laughs> it's very interesting. One of the things that we see in our trainings, and I want to talk a little bit more at the end about our trainings at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, is people sit in the same small group, group of 10 people, over the course of five days, 16 hours over five days, and they watch not only themselves, they learn about themselves, but they also see the other people in the group. We don't let people argue or interrupt or analyze or interpret. Everybody's there to work on themselves. But what happens is by the second or third or fourth or fifth day, that person who you were envious of in the beginning, you think, oh, well, you know, he's all right. You know, he's got his thing. I've got mine. He's got his issues. I got mine. And that one you thought was a total idiot turns out actually not to be so dumb after all. <laughs> so this is a process. As you become more self-aware, you start seeing other people and your relationships differently. You start, you know, you and your partner have been in a pattern for years, which may not have been, you know, it may have been okay when you first got together, but it's not working anymore. So you've, you've fallen into a pattern that's not working. And all of a sudden, you're seeing not only that it's not working, but you're seeing, oh, here's a way I can make a change. Here's something I can do. I can say, come on, honey, let's go out for a walk. Something simple. Or let's take another look at the way we're dealing with our son's problems. Let's, I'm going to try to get out of the fixed ideas I've had before. I want to invite both of us to really put our heads together in a different way. So you're coming back with fresh eyes, with a whole, uh, if you will, whole toolbox of tools to use to keep yourself in balance, to keep yourself in the process of change, to deal with the demons, to reach out to other people, to connect with the larger world, to have some kind of spiritual practice. All these things you now put together in a program that are that is right for you. And each of them is going to be somewhat different for each of us. And that's the return. And then life feels different, feel a little lighter, feel a little more competent, feel a little more hopeful or maybe a lot more about what you can do. So that's, that's the return and that's coming back home. And there are all these wonderful pictures of, I mean, if you think of Odysseus's homecoming and, mm. you know, he's got a, he's got a slay of the suitors, you know, that mm -hmm. were trying to get his wife to leave him and marry them. But, <laughs> but once he's done that, he's home, he's with his, he's with his family and he's, yes. he's there. But the same thing happens to all of us. As we come through this kind of uh, journey, which is sometimes an ordeal and sometimes simply an adventure, that we come back stronger, we come back more flexible, we come back more able to live our lives fully. And that's what I would 
that's what I hope for and for myself and for everyone, you know, everyone I work with and everyone who's reading Unstuck. Beautiful. I definitely want to share a little bit more on the return, Dr. Gordon, because I think when you go so far into being sad or depressed or just kind of living our lives, we forget what the original place feels like. We forget how to feel amazing, sort of jumping out of bed with joy. And I didn't know you could feel this way until a year out of having sort of done everything. In fact, we must be soul sisters uh, from, from a previous life because our health boot camps are structured very similarly. And having put myself through all of that, sort of the nature walks, we call it heal zone activities, and having gotten to a point where I am just always happy. And I hadn't felt that way for decades. I mean, starting from undergrad, you know, there's the stress of getting grades and there's relationship trauma and there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. We get so mired in our day-to-day -day life that's full of serious ups and downs. We forget that there is an original place that's calm and joyful and blissed out. Share a little bit about that, if, if you will, please, because people don't even know where they're returning to. Like, where am I coming back to? Well, I, th I think, I think there, there is in all of us that possibility for that joy. There are some people, though, who really um, may not even remember that they've ever experienced that. People who've been down mm -hmm. and out for so much of their lives. So it's a bit un unfamiliar to them. Exactly. And, and the idea is often there, and I've seen this with people who've been depressed for a very long time, is I'm not sure I trust this. You know, exactly. I feel good, but what's going to happen next? When exactly. is the other shoe going to fall? Exactly. Uh, when am I going to go back again? So I think this is where the continuing practice is really important and where meditation helps you see those thoughts that threaten to drag you back down on the one hand and helps you appreciate having the meditative mind, the mind that's more capable of being there in the present, helps you appreciate exactly that joy that you're talking about. That, oh yeah, no, that I'm drinking a little iced coffee here. This is so delicious. Mm -hmm. And not just drinking it as a matter of habit, but really oh, yes. enjoying it. And you know, I feel, yes. you know, my body feels kind of, I'm sitting in this chair and I've kind of been ignoring my body, but now I'm paying attention. Oh yeah, it feels pretty good. And I got to shift my position a little. <laughs> that feels even better. So it's really like a, a continual awakening. Yes. And that's what we need to come to. And, and even as we do that, there will be moments when we're not happy all the time, mm -hmm. that we're anxious and angry and envious. Mm -hmm. It'll come, mm -hmm. but it'll also, if you allow it to, it will go. And that's, again, that's the whole message of this unstuck approach yes. is that um, issues will come. Um, there's a, uh, I like to use a lot of reggae in, uh, in trainings and workshops. It just happened to like reggae. I love reggae. Jimmy Cliff, uh, one of his songs, he says, opposition will come your way. Opposition's mm -hmm. going to come our way, mm -hmm. no matter who we are. Absolutely. And the idea is, how do you relax with it? How do you not get totally thrown by it? And if you're thrown for a while, how do you say, okay, I was thrown for a while. It's not that I'm an idiot or a bad person or... This approach hasn't worked. It's just that we get thrown and now we need to come back. So it's an ongoing process of, 
coming up against difficulties and then coming back to to this moment and accepting and appreciating what's going on in this moment. Absolutely. There is a beautiful place to return to. Everyone who's listening or watching this, know that. Know that there is a beautiful place, even if you may not have experienced it for a long, long time. Fight for it. You know, strive for it. You will get there. Don't, don't accept a place of sadness, a place of depression as the de facto state of mind for the rest of your life because it's not true. It, right. Accept it and move through it and beyond it. Yes. So yes. it's that paradox. You have to yeah. accept it to begin That's with true. and yes. then know that you can move through it. Yes. Yes. It's not either or. <laughs> That's right. That's very true. That's very true. And there is this beautiful place that you will come to where you'll be just joyful and happy to be alive. So with that said, Dr. Gordon, thank you so much. One last tip for anyone who's listening to this. What is the one thing you want them to do right now to get back on the journey to being unstuck? Mm. Get up from watching this, listening to this, and do something you enjoy doing. Find something you really, really gives you a little bit of pleasure. The, the other thing that I wanted to mention to people is aside from reading Unstuck, um, which I hope you'll all read, and it's out, out in paper, you can order it on Amazon, is those who are interested in not only using this, this method for themselves, but for others should take a look at our website, uh, www.cmbmcharliemarybettymary.org. And if you want to use it with others, come to our trainings. We're training people. You don't have to be a health professional. It is a professional training, but it's open to those people want to learn this method in depth, want to learn the science, want to experience the techniques in the small groups, and want to share it with other people. So we have health professionals of many different kinds, educators, community organizers, peer counselors, leaders of women's groups, people who want to share their work with their friends and their churches, synagogues, mosques. We've trained about 6,000 people around the world, and I just want to welcome anyone who's seeing or hearing this to take a look at the website, look at the videos, look at the work that we've done all over the world with people who are depressed and traumatized. Look at, there's a really nice video from 60 Minutes that uh, features our work with war-traumatized kids in Gaza and Israel. You get a feeling for, and other videos too, you get a feeling for what this can do. And please come join us. And if you're working with people who are underserved or you yourself have a low income and you'd like to do this, we will do our best to give you at least a partial scholarship to come to the training. We want you to be there. What a great opportunity. Thank you so much for sharing that and, and your kindness and generosity and, and making it available for those who are underprivileged as well. We are going to be putting all the links on the show notes. So make sure you guys who are listening and watching, please check out the show notes for the links to the website, to the programs. And, and I hope you'll take advantage of some of these great opportunities. I, I believe I will be flying out as well. So Dr. Gordon, thank you so much again. And for the rest of you, put on some music and go dance, go for a walk in nature. <laughs> and I will see you on another podcast. Thank you, Rena. 
That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.